0: We all do it, every single day, we have to eat, and yet it can become so confusing to decipher between all of the messaging we receive from diet books and Instagram accounts, magazines and TV shows. In today's episode, I bring on Bonnie Green, a registered dietitian, to help walk us through the process of releasing diet culture and instead stepping into wellness in all forms. Welcome to the cyclical podcast. I'm your host, Cassandra Wilder. I'm a naturopathic doctor and an expert in women's cyclical health and menstruation. Let's get started. Welcome back, beautiful friends, to the podcast. How many of us, honestly, have read every diet book that's ever been published, dabbled with really extreme elimination diets, and felt that even after all of that, we're still more confused than ever as to what we're supposed to be eating. Some of you may know that long before I decided on naturopathy as my profession, I initially decided to go to school for dietetics. So I began my undergrad in health and nutrition, and I quickly learned that that was not necessarily the right format for me in that schooling. I didn't like the diet culture that was very pervasive in that line of work. And even then, the elimination diet kind of stuff was everywhere. That's why I'm really excited to welcome this guest onto the podcast. She is a registered dietitian and an expert in wellness, and we think so like-minded. I love that she is not about restrictive dieting uh, or diet culture at all. So I think this episode will really grant all of us some permission to let go of this obsession with a certain diet or even a certain weight and instead focus on wellness and what really feels good at our core. My lovely guest today is Bonnie Green. She's a registered dietitian and yoga teacher from Michigan, and she believes that humans can be healthy at every body shape and size, and that, quote, healthy eating does not look any one way. She has a non-diet approach with her clients, meaning that she works with them to find out the root of their problem and form goals so that they feel more confident in their bodies, not just focusing on eliminating food groups or favorite foods, so yes. We're on the same page, and I'm super excited for this interview, so let's get started. Welcome, Bonnie. I am so excited to welcome you and all of your beautiful wisdom into this space. How are you doing today?
1: I am great. Thank you so much for having me here.
0: Yeah, and I already know this is going to be a juicy conversation that we're going to maybe even rub up against some beliefs and things that we all think we know about health and wellness uh, and I'm ready for it. (laughs) Are you ready for it? I I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, when we first connected, I really resonated with your holistic approach to nutrition and self acceptance. And I liked that you really spoke out against a lot of the pretty toxic beliefs, frankly, that really emanate in the wellness space. Um, I would guess that when you went to school for dietetics, that they didn't necessarily teach what you now believe. How did you go from a previous version of yourself sitting in these nutrition classrooms to being such an advocate for true wellness in every essence of that word? Excellent question. Yeah, when I
1: decided that I wanted to go into this field, I... Your, your question actually it, it makes me think about when I, I used to be really into the show the biggest loser and I used to like, <laughs> I used to see myself like going to someone's home and clearing out all their junk food and teaching them how to eat healthy and lose weight and all that stuff and my first job was actually at a weight loss clinic where uh, people were on very low carb diets or very low calorie, supplement based, uh, weight loss plans. Uh, that being said, I did want to work in a different area of the field, but that was the first job I could find. So not entirely my plan, but anyway, (laughs) uh, yeah, when I was in school, they teach you like, you know, this is what you do for this health condition. And if you stray outside of this, you know, you're going to end up in the hospital or something like that. Mm -hmm. but through my journey, um, in my, in my field and my career, I've connected with other dietitians on Instagram and, you know, things like that. And I've seen how diet culture messages really bombard us from every angle. And it's really opened my eyes to that. Um, with any philosophy that I have, or, you know, that any person has, I do my best to stay grounded and know that I'm speaking my truth. This is something that I hold dear to my heart. And I can only hope that when other people see it or hear it, that it resonates with them.
0: Hmm. So through all of this, I'm sure going from That's funny. I like totally laughed hearing you talk about The Biggest Loser because I think we all had like an interesting like, yeah, that would be so cool to like revamp someone's life. Right. And to detox and, you know, all these things. That's like such an early 2000s mindset. (laughs) Um, So how did you, you know, go from seeing things like that, you know, that really perpetuate this idea of what health is. And then being in schooling that you said, you know, is very like this health problem equals this diet or this lifestyle change to really personalizing your approach. Yeah.
1: I think everyone, regardless of their health condition or, you know, whatever's going on with them, deserves something personalized. Hmm. because. And, and I'm sure you can you know, relate to this too in, in your practice, but you know, I can tell someone till I'm blue in the face to do X, but if their lifestyle doesn't allow for that or their you know, budget doesn't allow for that or something, like, it's not gonna actually manifest and, and turn into real change. So I think the more that I have expanded my circle, the more, obviously, the more that I learned, um, especially I've taken uh, the yoga for all training with Diane Bondi. Well, I'm still in the process of it right now, but she talks a lot about how diet culture and, um, you know, weight stigma and fat phobia, which I'll get into in a little bit, really impacts us. And, you know, these things aren't our our weight status, our BMI, aren't necessarily the greatest determinants of our health. And mm-hmm. when I used to work in a hospital, I had um, I had coworkers who were very rooted in these beliefs, in in the in the toxic beliefs, I should say. You know, um, we we would have some very some people who were in you know very large bodies at the hospital, and you know they would make very automatic judgments about them. Like we would sometimes even call these people frequent flyers because, you know, for whatever reason, they can't manage their health and they come back to the hospital so frequently. Hmm. And I think hearing that from my coworkers and, you know, learning how I was even uh, perpetuating these beliefs myself was sort of, you know, a, a little bit of a slap in the face. Like these people don't deserve that judgment from us We're we're yeah. here to help them. Right. So, yeah.
0: Wow. I'm guessing you have like pet peeves of like really horrible diet culture and, um, you know, hearing like diet of certain diets and trends and things that are so overused in such poor scenarios that you just kind of like prickle at certain advice that's, that's touted all over the internet.
1: Oh, yes. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Even just like hearing conversation as I'm walking by like places I used to work or in the grocery store or whatever. um, If I hear someone talking about their fad diet that they're on, I just sort of cringe. And, (laughs) um, you know, it's it, it. It pains me that that people are sometimes buying into it. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I, maybe I should explain kind of a little bit about some background of diet culture because, um, for people who've never heard of it before, maybe they're like, what is she even talking about?
0: (laughs) Yes. Give us the deep dive. What is diet culture and why is it so, why does it create such disordered eating patterns?
1: Yeah. Um, it's so messy. It's so big. Um, some of the really big messages from diet culture is that we have to shrink ourselves. So I think in society we hear a lot about like shrinking ourselves mentally or energetically. Um, The diet culture says, no, you also have to shrink your body. You have to be a certain weight. You have to eat a certain way to be considered healthy. Uh, You're not allowed to eat foods that are pleasurable.
0: Mm.
1: You have to have a beach body quote unquote, you have to go on a new diet when the new year comes. Uh, Foods are either good or they're bad. They're healthy or they're unhealthy. I used to work with people who would say like, oh, I was so bad last night. I had some cake. Like, you know, these beliefs that if you eat a quote unquote unhealthy food or a bad food that makes you a bad person. Mm -hmm. Um. Some other parts of diet culture, which um, are getting a lot more attention these days, which I'm really excited about, are fat phobia and weight stigma. So that in that situation, um, you know, maybe we see someone in a larger body and automatically assume they're unhealthy or that they don't care about their health or they eat junk food all the time or they never exercise. And all these things are so ingrained into our culture I'm getting a little, like, a little heated about it. It's um, so ingrained into our culture that if we blink, we miss it. Like, it's just part of our everyday. Can I throw some statistics your way?
0: Yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> I love these
1: numbers. I actually had to kind of distinguish between these two numbers because I didn't realize they were sort of separate. So, um in 2020, the weight loss industry was a, was valued at approximately $71 billion, with a B, dollars. Wow. And in 2019, the worldwide weight loss industry was valued at $192.2 billion. Wow. So this is something that makes companies so much money. They know how successful susceptible and insecure we are, and they take advantage of that. Mm. Um, And all the meanwhile, people who go on these diets or, um, you know, go, go to these extreme measures, 95% of them will regain any lost weight and probably plus some within one to five years.
0: Mm. So So what does that tell us then in terms of like sustainability, where, what are we missing in this approach?
1: Yeah. With, with these diets, especially if you think about something like keto or something where you're eliminating a whole food group or even just your favorite foods, no sugar, something like that. Um, they're, they're not sustainable because they're so restrictive. Mm. One of, uh, One of my coaches has this really nice quote, which I really love. And it's, um, we are attracted to what retreats from us. So if someone's like, no, I'm gonna, you know, I'm not going to eat any sweets and you know, that'll help me lose some weight. Eventually what's going to happen. They're going to crave those sweets and they're going to say, no, I'll have an apple instead, but that doesn't satisfy the craving. And then maybe they finally crack and eat a whole box of cookies Mm
0: -hmm. instead of,
1: you know, just one or two. And then that triggers a shame spiral and then they feel so bad and, oh, well, screw it. I'll just eat everything that's in the pantry. It can cause all these really terrible feelings for certain, but then they, you know, are, are sabotaging themselves in so many ways.
0: I feel like you just described my adolescence (laughs) where, yeah, my my pattern was starving and then severe binging, and then I'm so glad you talked about that shame because then you feel so, just so yeah, guilty and like you didn't even have self control. Mm-hmm. Okay, so how how do we get rid of this? Because it's obviously all around us. How do we take our power back? And how do we how do we move in a better direction?
1: So. First of all, one of my favorite mantras or sayings or whatever you want to call it is um, a perfect diet isn't healthy and a healthy diet isn't perfect. Mm. So a very big movement that's coming into the nutrition world and among dietitians is something called intuitive eating, which um, I agree with a lot of the concepts. I don't know if I... Would become certified to counsel people in it, but it's um, it has the word intuitive in it, which you know, obviously, listening to our intuition if we've been disconnected from it is really hard, as you've mentioned before in, po- in previous episodes, I'm sure. Um, but if we tap into our bodies and ourselves and think, you know, what what do I want right now? What, what am I hungry for? What would satisfy me? Instead of, you know, just saying, well, I'll have a salad because that's healthier. Saying like, no, do I actually want um, some french fries? Yeah, you know, honoring, honoring what our body wants. And it can take a lot of mental work and effort, especially if you have people around you who make comments about what you eat. I, I know from experience, I, people assume I eat healthy all the time, but you know, I, we're only human. We, we're not perfect. We can't hold ourselves to be perfect all the time Mm
0: -hmm. with this.
1: So allowing ourselves that flexibility to enjoy, um, enjoy those other foods that society thinks should be, uh, you know, stashed away for, uh, Parties only or whatever. Um, yeah, well, it really takes the pressure off for sure.
0: Yeah, I, I'm really glad you brought awareness to because it's there is a an eating disorder right around clean eating. What what is that called? Yes, so that is called orthorexia.
1: So that would be if you know someone is so preoccupied with eating clean or um reading food labels or you know like I said eliminating whole food groups or you know something like that I worked with a dietitian once when I was in college who described this as like if you took this person to a baseball game uh they wouldn't think they could eat anything there that you know they had at the stadium so they would either you know panic and spiral or just not eat anything that that's a situation where you know people might really struggle to let themselves enjoy those other foods but Mm -hmm. i i think with like a lot of work um we can get there for sure
0: So it sounds like what you really believe in is balance and knowing when to just live a little, (laughs) you know, and and have the ice cream or have a little popcorn or whatever. And because it's not coming from restriction, there isn't the like excessive binge in it. Is that right? Exactly. Exactly.
1: Well said. Um, Yes, if we allow ourselves to, you know, I shouldn't say indulge, but if we allow ourselves to you know enjoy that food and have it, then we stop obsessing
0: over it. So as a dietitian, how do you balance genuinely giving people good nutritional guidance and advice to help them feel better in their body without dipping into the dangerous waters of really perpetuating a diet culture? I imagine sometimes that's actually a little tricky.
1: It is. It is, and um, being a dietitian and being someone's significant other can be can be hard because um, I have my dietitian hat on, and I need to know, like, no, I am not going to uh, micromanage
0: or what <laughs> yeah. have you.
1: Um, but anyway, with my actual clients who who ask me for their <laughs> for my advice, um, I ask off the bat, you know, what are foods or drinks that you Like to have on a regular basis. So, whether that's, um, you know, maybe their favorite food is pizza or they like to have some wine on the weekends to unwind. I'm not going to go around and tell them, okay, your favorite food's pizza. Sorry, but to meet your goals, you're not having any more pizza. Mm -hmm. Um, Or you're going to have this cauliflower crust pizza instead. (laughs) I do believe in making like small changes that snowball. And you know, build on each other. You know, depending on what the person's uh, goals are, you know, what they're struggling with. But when I when I work with someone, I never want them to feel like they're "quote unquote" on a diet. Like I said, we're going to include their favorite foods, so they never feel deprived. I make sure to communicate to them that their weight or you know, their overall size is not equal to their worth. Uh, We are so much more than a number on the scale or the size of our genes. We have so much within us that, yes, we should be taking care of our bodies, but we don't need to get hung up on every single little thing we put into it, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense.
0: Totally, totally. It seems like, and this is how I feel with my clients as well, who have a lot of hormone imbalances. It should be more about how they feel than Mm -hmm. yeah, meeting some standard that says you should be a size zero. Or I feel like those of us that grew up in the 90s and early 2000s really have all sorts of weird, distorted things that have been imprinted in us. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if you still find it, but sometimes I feel like I get wrapped up in these old beliefs about how I should look. And if I don't look that way, it means something bad about me, right? That I'm not doing enough. And I feel like I try to be pretty self-aware about that. And so I imagine people that don't even know that that's a problem can get so sucked into it. For sure.
1: One really big issue with weight stigma, and this is huge in the Western medicine world. So I'm sorry if this is going to offend anybody, but honestly, this is kind of BS and I'm over it and I'm ready to debunk this.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: um, so, you have probably heard of BMI before. Mm-hmm. So, BMI, which is short for body mass index, um, is very commonly used. You know, if you go to the doctor's office, they take your weight, they take your height. And your BMI is calculated. So it's a ratio of your weight over your height. Um, you know, when I was in when I was working in hospitals, this is what we used all the time. Um, but the history of it is actually pretty ridiculous. You know, we, we use this as an indicator for health. You know, we think like, okay, somewhere between 18 something and 24 is considered a normal weight. Uh, 25 to 30 is considered overweight, and uh, 25 and up is considered obese, and then there's different classifications of obese. The origin of the BMI um, calculation was created, it was created in 1832 by Adolphe Quetlet, and he was a Belgian mathematician. So he wasn't a doctor, he wasn't studying obesity, but he was he was studying countrymen in Belgium. So he created this equation based on European adult men. So BMI is not going to represent accurate health status for women or for anyone who is not European, or <laughs> I guess you could also say specifically Belgium. Right. Um, Um, BMI doesn't take into account your bone density or your muscle mass. It really doesn't tell the whole story as far as our health goes, but very few doctors realize that they'll see Mm. if you're considered overweight or obese in your medical chart. And they'll tell you, okay, go lose 10 pounds, go on a diet, and then not explain what that means or refer them to a qualified professional. Um, I know you've mentioned with period health before how doctors, you know, can just brush us off. They don't listen and we don't feel heard. And I think this is another situation where that really comes into play and it's humiliating. Hmm.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, if I could tell a personal story about this and this will actually tie in nicely because, uh, my previous doctor, before the one I had now, um, she had placed me on birth control pills <laughs> to help regulate my periods.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and over the maybe like two and a half years that I was on it, I had gained weight, and I noticed that my body didn't react to exercise the way it used to. And you know, I it just felt my body just felt different, but you know, two and a half years went by and then I had a doctor's appointment, you know, standard, whatever. And they took my weight. And at this point I was considered overweight as far as my BMI was concerned. Mm -hmm. And my doctor, um, you know, she, she seemed pretty accusational thing, asking like, Oh, did anything in your diet change? Or, you know, are you not exercising enough? When meanwhile, I was in my internship at the time, I was walking everywhere. I was taking multiple flights of stairs a day, um, all, all of this. And, you know, basically she told me, okay, well, lose five pounds by next month, you know, and come back to see me. And that was it. And wow. I went into my car. I, I went, I had gone to the appointment by myself and I started to cry. I was just mortified because, um, I had tried to, you know, explain, like, I am a nutrition professional. I, you know, there, and and try to share my, my side of the story and nope, you're overweight, lose five pounds. Jeez. So, um, I know so many people experience this on a daily basis, um, probably to a worse extent because my, um, I, I don't occupy a very large body. I, I am probably still considered overweight, but um, I think looking at me, most people probably wouldn't say that. I, I can only imagine, like, I'm sure people are going through much worse judgment and, you know, people making assumptions based on the size of their body.
0: Wow. I can only imagine how you felt sitting in that car, so unheard. <laughs> And just flabbergasted probably of like, you missed the whole point. So I'm so sorry you had to go through that. It just sounds to me, if here's going to be another unpopular opinion, but it just seems to me Western medicine as a whole really needs a whole revamp in probably every facet. Because mm-hmm. it's run on people kind of being treated oftentimes uh, like a number versus a real person that has real experiences and trauma and prejudice and... It's not working clearly because your story is so similar to probably almost everyone listening, and that's sad. Yeah, um,
1: I I agree with you. It it is really sad, and I think our, you know, the the new generations of doctors and nurse practitioners or you know whoever that are being educated and trained need to have their eyes open to this. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, all the current practitioners as well but I think we know when people have been practicing for so long and they're kind of set in their ways and what they know they may not be as open to these um new radical ideas
0: (laughs) (laughs) so radical Bonnie oh my gosh (laughs) Uh, and I'm really glad you brought up BMI because um when I look at you, I think you look so healthy and radiant. And uh, similar to you, though, when I've gone in and had my BMI, they're like, Whoa, you know, you're actually almost into the like the high level. I don't know if they said overweight or what the term was they used. And I remember thinking, what? Yeah. What is this based on? Is, are you trying to tell me that I need to be, yeah, like 110 pounds to fit some standard? And I didn't know where it came from until you just shared that like what an old school way of thinking. Yeah. So and I'm glad too, you're bringing words to you know embracing our bodies at all sizes and, and disassociating health with a certain look. How How do you help clients that come to you with a lot of subconscious beliefs that health equals this and that's what they want to attain? How do you help them see that maybe their ultimate goal is a little different than that?
1: Yeah, a lot of subconscious beliefs or patterns that we have, um, whether they're related to food or not, are way back, you know, from our childhood or trauma of some kind. Um, they're like, I've heard stories where, you know, if people are sexually abused in some way, like they might turn to food partially as a comfort, you know, they, they might think that if I look a certain way, if I put more mass on my body, then no one's gonna touch me like that again. Mm. So there can be some really big things, um, you know, at, at the root of why we do what we do. So we have to dig. We gotta, we gotta find out what that is. And when these things come to the surface, that's when we can start to, you know, heal
0: from that and and learn how to work with it. I feel like you did not mean to just, like, give me a mini coaching session, (laughs) but I feel like you just gave me permission to trace back why I feel like a certain body size is what I'm supposed to have, and I'm kind of reeling from that in the moment, but I've never done that through all of the, you know, quote, work that one does. I've never actually thought, why do I feel like this is what I'm supposed to be? Mm -hmm. So, whew, mic drop. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thank you for that. Yeah. And it's, it's funny
1: that you say that because, you know, like I said, the a lot of our diet culture and our beliefs, you know, come from the media. And if we only see pictures on the front of magazines um, of very thin women or white women or blonde women with blue eyes or, you know, what have you, that's where, that's what our mind thinks is what we're supposed to be because you know, other people didn't get on the covers of magazines, you know. Um, Though recently, I don't know exactly when it was, but Cosmopolitan recently had a, uh, you know, a cover and an article about health being at any size, which um, I didn't get to read it or anything, but I thought like, wow, Cosmopolitan is having people in larger bodies on the cover of their magazine. That's amazing. Yeah. They're not like photoshopped size double zero <laughs> people. It's
0: great. Yeah, refreshing for sure. I guess where where do we begin as we're all on this journey, you know, as we're starting to trace back why we feel like we're supposed to be a certain weight or why we should look a certain way how do we start to change how we approach food and, and wellness in general? What would be like the go-to steps?
1: Uh, I, I want to remind us all that with this or, you know, with anything that we're working on, we can't expect to heal quickly, um, or, you know, in a linear fashion because, um, you can't just say, okay, I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I'm going to have a totally great relationship with food and I'm going to be able to eat whatever I want and feel fine and, you know, all that. Um, it takes a lot of work. And for some people, you know, having a therapist in their corner is is a big part of that. Um, you know, someone who can really understand there uh, and hear them and give them strategies but also having you know a really understanding listening um, other health professionals in their corner you know their doctor maybe a dietitian or um, you know someone someone in that arena as well having having support makes this so much easier because if you're you know, trying to make these changes. But meanwhile, you have your mom who's been in Weight Watchers her whole adult life um, and saying like, oh, honey, I counted my points today or, you know, whatever. Um, Those things could be very triggering. So it's important to also communicate that boundary with the people in your life to say like, I'm working on this for me and I need you to support
0: me in it. That's powerful. Yes. So support 1000%. And I just realized we didn't really touch on this. But you know, there are other people that struggle to put on weight, or they struggle with feeling like they look that they're not again, meeting the body standard, because they're so underweight, or, or don't, again, fit the like, being really lean, but having large breasts, or, you know, whatever toxic (laughs) standard we're trying to meet here. What kind of tools do you give people like that?
1: Depending on what's going on with them, if they, you know, if they have a true nutritional problem where, you know, I feel like they need to gain weight, you know, that's something we do talk about. But I I have heard from people before, you know, people think I have an eating disorder or they think I have cancer or, you know all these different things, and it's just, no, I'm just very thin. <laughs> One tool that I really love that I learned from a therapist, co-worker of mine, is um, sometimes loving our bodies can be really hard if we're in a, you know, on the opposite end of the spectrum where we're, you know, really hating our bodies, or we um, just have poor body image, you know, and, you know, we feel like we don't meet the the norm of what we're supposed to. But somewhere in the middle between love and hate is acceptance. So starting with that and even practicing gratitude um, and thinking about if there's certain areas of your body that, you know, you're insecure about or just scanning your body and thinking about it as a whole, thinking, what does my body do for me that I can be grateful for?
0: why is it so hard for many of us to just love our bodies?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I don't have perfect body image either. Um, there are days where I'm like, yeah, I look good. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, and there's days where, you know, I, I'm not feeling so good about myself and that is normal. I think to an extent, you know, we, we have fluctuations in so much of our, um, of our personality and our in our bodies and in, in multiple ways just you know another one of the cycles we have but you know on a whole working on overall those positive messages is really key you know giving giving ourselves compliments i i'm a type i'm the type of person where i love to receive compliments from others don't get me wrong but we don't always have our best friend on call or a significant other to say, you look cute today, you look pretty or whatever. But if we can give ourselves those compliments, then that starts to foster the um, giving giving ourselves that positive self-talk.
0: Yeah, that's a beautiful reminder. In our culture, Bonnie, we tend to really demonize fat, both the fat that we eat, though you and I know, and I'm sure advocate to our clients that you have to eat fat to have healthy hormones, to have health in, in every essence of that way. But also, we have to have fat on our bodies. There is a certain amount of fat that's required for basic functions. Can you talk more about that? Yeah.
1: In our more recent you know years, I think probably since the 1950s or 60s or so, we think that fat on our bodies is a bad thing, especially if it like turns into us having cellulite or something that we, you know, is unattractive or stretch marks or something like that. But we actually, we need fat on our bodies, especially as women, especially in our near near our hip area. If, if we don't have enough fat on our bodies, especially that area, we can cause ourselves to have amenorrhea or, you know. Absence of menstrual cycles, which is something that a lot of female athletes struggle with. Um, there's usually an issue like with over exercising, undereating, and um, you know, stress and, and all that kind of thing. So as hard as it is to sometimes come to terms with, because we associate fat on our bodies with maybe like I'm unattractive or in our culture, in our movies, if you think about villains, they're usually, you know, people in large bodies. If you think about like Hmm. Ursula from The Little Mermaid or, um, oh, Pete, Pete from like the classic Mickey Mouse stuff, (laughs) you know, um, we've subconsciously like demonized that, you know, Going back to what I said earlier, when we see someone in a large body, we make these judgments. And if we're saying that about other people, what are we saying to ourselves? Probably, you know, the same messages, if not worse. That's definitely something that we as a whole, as a society, need to unlearn.
0: I just kept hearing, I am worthy, as you were saying all of that, like, I am worthy. These things Mm -hmm. do not deter from my worth. Yes. Amen. Yes. If you could give every person listening to this podcast right now, who obviously is already a really special person because they saw this title, they were like, I also want to ditch diet culture and and I want to learn to love myself the way I am and not feel like I have to pick apart myself or my diet. What would you speak to this person about food and their bodies? What permission or wisdom could you give them? Yes.
1: First and foremost – To everyone listening, to everyone in the whole world, you deserve to eat. We are told that we have to earn a meal with exercise, or if that we eat a really indulgent meal one day, we shouldn't eat so much the next day, or, you know, fast the next day. Uh uh. No, no matter what, you deserve to eat. And if anything that we talked about that you're struggling with, You deserve to get help and you deserve to get better.
0: So obviously everyone listening is now obsessed with what you have (laughs) to say and is like, who is this person? (laughs) Where can they find you? And do you have any special gifts that you can send their way? Yes, um, you can find me on
1: Instagram a whole lot. Uh, My handle is Bonnie, the RDN. Uh, My website is peacefulpowerfulnutrition.com. So you can read a little bit about me there and see my cute face.
0: (laughs) It is a cute face.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Um, And then I have a free guide for ditching diet culture. So you can find that at peacefulpowerfulnutrition.com slash detox
0: amazing i've got all that linked in the show notes for everybody so you can grab that free guide and start to learn from her her instagram is also amazing so highly recommend it thank you so much bonnie for being here i feel like i've also received a lot from this so know that just by existing and showing up you are giving a lot of people permission to end a lot of self-sabotage so thank you
1: thank you so much cassandra i was so happy to be here thank you